founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. All right, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Tony Airbar, the owner and CEO of American Tents. Tony holds a BS in chemistry from the University of Wisconsin and MBA from the University of Michigan. After spending three years at, at Bain as a strategy and private equity consultant, Tony took the leap into entrepreneurship and bought Elite Tent Rentals, an event rental business in 2013 off of Craigslist. He quickly realized he loved being a small business owner and bought American Tent in 2014. Since that time, he and his amazing team have grown the business 50x, in fact, American Tent was recently listed as the third fastest growing private company in Wisconsin by the Inc. 5000 list. Tony is actively engaged in economic development, normalizing mental health, and building positive change in Green Bay. He was selected as the Chamber of Commerce's Young Entrepreneur of the Year in 2019. And here to share his journey and lessons learned along the way is Tony. So Tony, thank you for being here, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, tell me in your own words, we, we get, took our little stab at trying to understand your story. How did you come about uh, starting this business? Yeah. Um, so I was an entre entrepreneur by accident. Um, so I uh, started out as a chemistry major, did some consulting, got my MBA and thought I wanted to be a consultant for the rest of my life, telling other people how to run their businesses. And uh, I remembered back, I was watching Shark Tank one night, remembered back to a friend from business school who had bought a business off Craigslist. And thought, hey, it might be fun to, to have a little side hustle and buy something off Craigslist. So uh, bought a tent rental business off Craigslist. Um, I was living in Chicago, my brother-in-law uh, living in Green Bay. And so he uh, did the kind of operation side and I was doing all the back end stuff. And that's all I thought about was my own business. Um, so what does that mean yeah, to buy that a business off of Craigslist? <laughs> I didn't even know that was, you could do that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, people will list anything on Craigslist. Um, so I saw a tent rental business for sale. It was 60,000 bucks. Uh, it was basically inventory and a small customer list. And so yeah, bought it out from the owner. And uh, after that, we bought his manufacturing business. He was interested in getting out of manufacturing the next year. So that provided enough opportunity for me to move back to Green Bay from San Francisco, where I was living at that point. Now, why tent rental? Was, did you search specifically for that or like, how did you come across that? I said business for sale. And in <laughs> Chicago, there was a Mary Maids in Green Bay, there was a tent rental business. And so, um, for no other reason than it sounded like something that was pretty simple, um, and, and easy to get off the ground. And I thought something that you could scale, um, uh, in the, in the, in the area. Yeah. What, what? Uh, if any, what kind of research did you do about the company before deciding it was something worth your investment? Um, the guy had very little information on his tax returns. I don't think he was paying his taxes. Um, so it was a customer list. It was going up and seeing his inventory. Um, but for 60,000 bucks, it was kind of a bet on myself, more or less. Yeah, absolutely. So where did you start? You buy the tent business. What's your first move? Uh, the first move was to clean up the marketing message that he had. He was kind of known as the guy who gave uh, really good deals and cheap deals on tents. He did fairs and festivals. 
And my idea was we could do weddings. Um, weddings are something where people are paying a lot more money. Um, you get a bigger share of wallet because you can have a wide range, wide array of products. Mm. Um, and then when the opportunity came to buy the tent manufacturing business, then there was some vertical integration. Um, so we were able to make our own tents at cost, um, which allowed us to keep a pretty new inventory in stock. Yeah. So what did that actually look like to begin to market and target weddings as, as the new kind of avatar you're going for? Yeah. Um, so it was getting a much better website. Um, it was um, simplifying the process for customers and then meeting with wedding uh, wedding planners. Those are typically the people who are um, the most connected, obviously, into the industry and then doing wedding shows um, and then taking really good pictures of those and proving we could do it and going from there. What did that first year look like? Was it up and to the right? Were there struggles? Did it take a minute to take off? What was that like? Oh, yeah, it was a shit show. Um, <laughs> so it, 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 as with any new business, because you got to learn, learn what you're doing. Um, you got to learn from the mistakes you make in the first uh, year. Um, so for us, um, yeah, I would say the biggest thing is maybe biting off a little more than we could chew in that first year because I was remote. Uh, my brother-in-law was located there, um, trying to get a crew, getting a reliable crew to be able to go up and do the setups and then um, making sure we were doing it in a safe fashion. So the, the guy who sold us a business was not well known for his uh, safety. And mm. um, so it was learning from kind of veterans in the industry on how to, how to do that best um, and, and safely. Yeah. Were you, so it sounds like were you doing this part-time for that first year or so, or had you <clears> made the jump? Yeah, no, I was doing it part-time for the first year. My brother-in-law was doing the setups. We had a crew of about three guys, um, mostly his family and indirect family. Um, and then when we bought the manufacturing business, um, that was when it gave the opportunity for me to move back. So took a very small salary. I have a, a great wife who's, uh, I call her my entrepreneur. Uh, <laughs> she works for Deloitte Consulting. She makes a good paycheck uh, on a Chicago, Chicago cost of living, but in Green Bay. And so that allowed me to, to not have to take a, a salary like I was taking when I was a consultant. That's amazing. Keeping some cash in the business instead of having to drain it all just to live. That's big. Um, yep. As a first-time entrepreneur, were there any kind of ahas you had about what it means to be an entrepreneur or what it means to actually run your own business? Uh, yeah, everything falls on you as a consultant. Um, you want to do your best to kind of set the clients up for success, but you're not sticking around, uh, and, and living with the results of it. And so, um, it was, there were a lot of lessons learned Well, continuing to be a lot of lessons learned, um, uh, in the yeah. business. Did that create yeah. pressure? You know, was that a, an emotional weight that was surprising? Uh, yes. Cause, um, the business's success was my success. And in my mind, every time I failed, I was a failure. And so I had to detach myself from that um, and be able to understand that doing business, you will fail. Um, it is inevitable and you need to learn from it as opposed to let it suck you into a death spiral. Yeah. Um, was that easy to do or hard to do? I would imagine hard to do. To In, in theory, it sounds great, but in practice to actually yeah. detach yourself from the result. Yeah. No, I'm a perfectionist. I'm someone who's been successful in everything I've done. And so very difficult to, um, to fail, um, and, um, not see it as directly my fault and I'm the failure. Mm. What helped you? What helped you kind of make that transition? 
Um, I had gone through some executive coaching and executive program here in Green Bay um, at a company called Initiative One, uh, and they did a really good job of helping kind of with the the mental health aspect of things and the being a good leader. And um, so th- there was a lot, lot that I learned in there, a lot that I learned from other entrepreneurs. Um, I think that's one of the best things you can do if you're an entrepreneur is talk to other entrepreneurs because um, it gets a little lonely um, being responsible for everything. So talking to people who've, who've gone through it, have learned from it. I just had a call this morning with a friend of mine. Mm. Uh, the guy who hired me into my first consulting firm runs a really big print business um, all over the U.S. Is that still something, I know you said you had a call this morning, is that still something you do in a, in a formal capacity, like staying a part of you know mastermind groups like that, or is it more informal at this point for you, the support? Yeah, at this point, it's a little bit more informal. Um, I'd hope I hope to eventually join something like uh, YPO, Young Professional Organization. Um, I tried Vistage out; it was it wasn't right for me. Um, but yeah, most of my stuff is informal. Um, I have a lot of great investors in the business as well in the tent manufacturing. Um, so a lot of it is picking their brain. If I have a, a someone who's a CMO um, in a similar company and knows a lot about e-commerce or uh, one of our investors, a couple investors worked for a sales and marketing consulting firm to bring in them in to do some sales training. So, Gotcha. You know, mm-hmm. it's one thing to survive, mean, meaning like, hey, we technically made the business work. That's cool. It's another thing to mm-hmm. grow at the rate and the capacity that you all have grown this business. What do you attribute yep. to that, that, that success? Um, well, so the tent rental business was never going to scale. Um, and it, it became a, a suck on my time. Um, so we ended up selling that business about a year before COVID. Um, so getting out of that business was important. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I was given is whole ass one thing, don't half ass two things. Um, so <laughs> like trying to do, yeah, I, I saw my success as, well, I can run three businesses or I can run four businesses. And um, that wasn't healthy for me. That wasn't healthy for the businesses. So somewhere in there, I opened a wedding venue. We sold our shares back to the operating owners. And um, so that that was that was a lot of it was really focusing on that one business. Um, the two others were local businesses. And so the opportunity to scale was limited by my geographic reach. Um, but the temp manufacturing business, we had uh, a national footprint. Um, and so being able to sell um, uh, even most of North America. Um, so the I would say the success for us was being lean up front mm. in the team we had and how we did things and the equipment we had. Um, and then doing a really good job uh, on marketing. So 80% of our customers find us on Google. And so it would make sense that we would have a good website and that we would have a lot of efforts put towards SEO and pay-per-click and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm hearing you right, it went from having both the tent rental and the tent tent manufacturing businesses to selling the rental aspect of it and keeping yep. and doubling down on the manufacturing side. Is that right? Correct. Yep. Gotcha. Um, so what does that look like to build up and scale a manufacturing business? Um, so it's making sure you have the right people on the bus. Um, you need someone you can, can trust, um, as you get into a variety of roles. So I started off as all entrepreneurs do is the CEE, the C, the CE everything. Um, so you're, you're doing the finance, you're doing all the sales. Um, so on a manufacturing business, um, you can't be good at everything. And a lot of times it's the production side of things. Um, especially I'm a, I'm a little bit more of a visionary entrepreneur, so the, the details and the weeds do not excite me. They drain my energy. 
Um, and so being able to think about growing the business, we had a really great um, employee number one um, who's been our production manager ever since um, continues to, to shine in that role and continues to help us scale up. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. The idea of being the CEO of everything, I think, you know, personality wise, but also uh, restrictions of budget and all that kind of stuff often necessitates that there's a period of time where you have to kind of wear every hat and figure it out. But then there comes a time yep. where you have to decide which things to pass off and when and to who. Uh, how do you think yep. about that? How do you think about when to discharge something and say, I'm no longer doing finance for us or I'm no longer doing sales or whatever it is? Yep. Yeah. Some of it's opportunistic when you find the right person. Um, some of it is there's just not enough hours in the day for you to do those things. And then some of it is you find you're doing it poorly um, and you need to find someone who can do it well, um, who is versed in finance or versed in marketing. Um, so the one of the first hires um, I made was my father, who is a fantastic salesperson. He had retired and agreed to come on basically for $1 under um, Social Security. Um, wow. And so he worked with us for three years. That was um, probably one of the most important things uh, in scaling the business uh, was he had 40 years of sales experience for 3M company and uh, came in and um, started selling for us. Wow. What was the next thing that you, you kind of, uh, hired someone out for? Yeah, I hired, um, kind of a utility player. Um, she's still with the team. She's now our VP of HR. Uh, but she was doing a lot of the administrative work for the business. She was doing the bookkeeping, working with a, a local uh, accounting firm for us. Um, so yeah, that was the, the next hire. Gotcha. Uh, when did you, when did you round a corner in that business where you felt like, I think this is really going to work? Not just, I hope it's going to work, but I, I think this is really going to work. <laughs> I don't think we've arrived yet. I don't right. Know. Um, <laughs> so, <question>. um, <laughs> yeah, no, um, I think that's a really good question. Um, when did I think it was going to work? Um, I think it was when we moved from our first building into our next building. Um, it was right around 2016, 2017. And at that time, we also bought uh, bought out a business um, who made similar products to us. They made uh, tent sidewalls um, for the tents. Um, they started out doing tarps and then said, well, we can make other rectangles. And so let's make sidewalls. And so bought their business out, got their book of business, um, rebranded the business. So there were a lot of things that happened kind of in the middle there um, after what are they certain number of businesses fail in the first three years. Right. And so oh, yeah. after that third year, um, kind of year three to five, uh, I felt better. Um, but yeah, I've never felt confident. It's always uh, a constant battle of, um, things going well and waiting for the other shoe to drop. Cause inevitably <laughs> it always seems to have dropped. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a difference in your mind between preparedness and needless worry or paranoia? Um, and if so, yeah, can you, can you so, tell me where that um, line is to help me? <laughs> well, Brene Brown always talks about foreboding joy. And so when you're in a good spot and then you're thinking, so a simple example is like preparing, sitting over your kid when they're sleeping, right? And being like, oh my God, this, I love them so much. And then automatically going to like, well, what happens if they got sick or what happens? And, and that doesn't do anything for you. It's proven. She's proven that through a lot of her research that, that, that people who are suffering uh, a loss, once they suffer the loss or like none of that worry was actually worth it um, ahead of time. So 
Um, I'm by nature a catastrophizer. I think a lot of us are. And so I can take the littlest thing and turn it into a pretty big thing. So um, I think preparedness is thinking ahead for what could possibly go wrong and then setting up the things in place to be able to approach them and, and, and solve them. So we do a lot better job in our business now. Um, we've instituted a pretty great operating model um, mm. that allows us to really address issues. That was something in the past we didn't always, sometimes we just kind of run and stick our heads in the sand. So, yeah, it sounds like it's, it's figuring out how you could measure whether what you're doing is productive or not. That is the type of, uh, is the type of preparing or worrying I'm doing leading to plans and leading to smart thinking, or is it not actually, like yeah. you said, standing over your kid, is it not actually doing anything? Uh, is that kind of the right. litmus test of whether it's actually productive or not? Yeah, exactly. And um, when you're sitting in a moment of joy, enjoying enjoying that moment of joy, instead of thinking about all the ways things can go wrong, not easier said than done. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to come back to this. We're going to come back to this in, in a few minutes, just even around a mental health and how do we, you know, uh, navigate life and business and the pressures and that kind of thing. But before, what I, what I want to ask is, you know, you're a really smart, driven dude, and you find yourself running a tent manufacturing business, and those aren't by nature, I would assume, sexy, right? Like, it's not the next tech company that's no. going to take over the world or, you know, some really neat no. sounding, we get to travel and do this. Um, yep. how do you, what, what makes you passionate about it? How do, how, how do you think about that? Yeah. I always tell my team, I could give two craps about what we make. I care about the people in these four walls of the building. Mm. Um, so pouring into them, making their lives better. Um, so yeah, I, it doesn't matter what we're making. It's uh, all about um, the the people in these four walls. Um, so I, I do, um, we do have a little bit of a side hustle that could be that next big thing that I'm happy to talk about. It's a, a business we got off the ground about a year ago. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, so all of our tents uh, and all, all tents out there are made out of PVC fabric, which is non-recyclable. And uh, technically, the EPA will list it as a toxic substance here in the next couple of years. Um, so it'll be it'll cost you money to, to throw it away. Um, and so in 2019, um, we met at a trade show, a company out of Korea that was making a fully recyclable alternative, uh, a polypropylene alternative to PVC. Um, so I'm always, always open to ideas and at least looking, looking at them. And so I said, Hey, let me, let me come visit you uh, next year. And so 2020, we all know what happened in 2020. I was visiting our, our, one of our partners in China and was sitting in a wet market with my COO and he hands me the phone and it says city of Wuhan being shut down due to mysterious virus started in a wet market. And we're sitting in a wet market eating snake at that point. Oh my God. Um, so I might have been patient zero. I don't think I was, but um, just a little side story. So wow. on our way to Korea, yeah. So on our way to Korea, met with the Korean partner. Um, and the first thing I thought when I met them was, oh my God, there's so much more opportunity here. They were telling me about their products and they've had them for five years at that point and had made very little traction in the US. And so all I could think was we could commercialize this in North America. There are so many things that you PVC. So Anything from like our tents, billboards and sign, anything you print on, um, flexible packaging in the um, at Amazon or in the automotive industry. There's it's a turns out it's a ten billion dollar industry in North America. 
Um, and so I said, why don't I come back um, when this when this virus is gone? Because um, it had just kind of started. Um, and let me pitch you on being your North American and South American um, distribution and commercialization partner. Um, so COVID didn't go away. <laughs> and I figured there's no better way to prove to someone that you're serious about something than to go spend 14 days in a government-run hotel in South Korea. And so I went, I did quarantine for 14 days and then went and pitched them on us being their North and South American distribution partner. Um, my co-founder was just a twinkle in my eye at that point. He came along to pitch them on how this could help replace agricultural plastics as well. And then we signed an agreement with them when I was visiting and uh, officially incorporated in September. So we're about a year old. Uh, last week, we we're about a year old. Wow. And how's, how's that yep. going in the first year? That's crazy. So it's very different than buying a business that's already established. Having a startup, there's all the fundraising that goes into it. There's, you're essentially establishing a market. Um, so uh, it's, it's great that we have a physical product, um, <clears throat> something that's easy to get your head around. Plus, it being a direct substitute for PVC fabrics, um, none of our customers really have to change their fabrication process. Hmm. Um, so yeah, the first year has been a lot of fundraising. My my C my president co-founder, he runs the day to day operations. I have a really great COO here at American Tent, so I split my time about fifty percent um, between the two. But yeah, that first year is finding customers who believe in your message, those early adopters, and getting them on board and trialing the product out. And I think we've done a really nice job. The the partner in Korea is very good at inventing things. Um, and she would just, and she's like, oh, I found a, I can now make inflatable paddle boards. And I said, well, what size is the inflatable paddleboard market? I have a market here that could be a billion dollar market. Um, we need to tweak these three things. And so it's talking to customers and understanding what the product is that you need. Um, and then going back and saying, let's innovate on the product and, and get it to that point. So um, that is we've exciting. raised, uh, yeah, we raised a pre-seed round. We just won a, um, a regional pitch competition. Uh, um, here about a week ago, and then we're in the process of raising a seed round. Um, actual, the first round was friends and family. This round will be venture capital. So, it's learning a lot about venture capital and how that works, and how you want to bring investors in, and how much you want to value your company. And um, but we we truly feel we're the only substitute at this point for PVC that's price competitive. Wow. Um, but we are. 100% recyclable, and it's actually a desired feedstock. And so a lot of companies say this is recyclable, but you can't recycle it anywhere. So what good is that? Um, it's an 80% lower carbon footprint, um, which is huge for a lot of companies, especially like automotive companies, yeah. um, to be able to take that out of their supply chain. It's non-toxic. It's the same thing that Tupperware is made out of. Um, so uh, a really nice alternative there. And then it's 40% lighter uh, at the same durability. Um, so well, that's what I was going to ask. It performs, of, it performs just as well. It sounds like even better. Exactly the same, but has a lot more sustainable benefits. Yeah. Wow. Wow, man. Yeah. Well, I'm glad so I asked that you that question debate. about, about boring business versus yeah. exciting business. Cause now we get to find out about this. <laughs> yeah. So I was telling you earlier, my lights turn off. Speaking of sustainability, they turn off every, uh, 20 minutes and I can't get around that. So you might see me one more time, reach out here and. <laughs> get the lights get the lights to come back on i love it i love it uh well man what's really neat to me is that you're getting the experience of kind of two different 
businesses as well as two different starts of the business, right? Like you kind of buy an existing mm -hmm. customer list, an existing business and scale it. And now you're getting an idea yep. from the ground up. And like you said, finding early adopters, overcoming resistance to change what they've always done and uh, yep. breaking the markets, raise money, raise capital. Like that's really neat. You're getting both experiences yep. right now. Yeah. And we have a lot of good things going for us in the startup. Um, the EPA, like I said earlier, is going to regulate PVC um, uh, probably by 2024. And then the U.S. Plastic Pact, which 300 or 400 companies have signed right now on the 11 points of the agreement. One of them was to eliminate PVC from their value stream. And we are, like I said, uh, the only alternative fabric um, uh, to... PVC, uh, you could switch to a polyethylene, which is a lot less expensive, but not durable enough. Or you could switch to a polyurethane, um, which is three times as expensive. So we're kind of sitting in the middle. We're the only player in the market. And um, I know they say first mover advantage is just a cliche word, but we kind of have a first mover advantage yeah. right now and have a, a really great trade secret and a really great partner over in Korea. All right. Well, are you still taking uh, friends and family seed money? You might have a new friend over here. <laughs> <laughs> the friends and family round is done, but the, uh, the the seed round is still is still happening. Okay. Um, so that'll be we're right in the middle of that right now. Awesome, awesome. Uh, when you go venture yeah. capital, make sure you check out Home Capital. Uh, one of one of the people I had on my podcast, I, I was floored at hearing the innovations and uh, the benefits of what they were doing in that kind of venture capital world. So check out home capital with Blair <laughs> Silverberg. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I will, uh, I will do that. Uh, really, send me really an email good. after, cause I don't want to write a note right now. So yeah, I will, I actually will. Yeah. I, again, I was telling okay. many friends and business owners about, it. I'm like, this sounds like the future of how we should better, a better way to go about the whole process. You know, he was in it. Yeah. You can go listen to his episode. Anyone <laughs> listening right now, he was in that world for 10 plus years and, as someone that was in that world, I was like, we've got to be able to do this better. This is a hundred yeah. no's. You, you don't even know who you're talking to. You know, is this even the smart <laughs> move for you? Like who's advising you on, yeah. on all that kind of stuff. And so he went and did it himself yeah. you know, doing some cool stuff. Yeah. Um, getting money, getting money as a startup is one of the hardest things I've had to do. Um, yes. Uh, and, and getting money as a, even a, a established, I'll say established business. Um, it's really difficult. And so um, there has to be a better way to do funding for small businesses rather than angel investors. I know I was at an event last week for Denver Startup Week and um, Chase, JP Morgan Chase is developing a new product uh, specifically designed for small businesses. So mm. we'll see if things start to head in that direction. I think they're starting to see that there's a lot of other uh, companies popping up that are doing that and doing some micro lending, microfinancing and um, not doing it at 20% interest, which is not sustainable for a yeah. business. Can kill you. Can yeah. kill you as a business. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Uh, okay. Well, I wanted to, to talk to you about this. You know, one of the questions we like to ask in the prep is what are you kind of, what are you currently most passionate about? We touched on it earlier, but let me yep. just ask you that. What are you currently most passionate about? <clears throat> yeah. Um, mental health. It's always, every time I can get a, get up on my soapbox, I will talk about mental health. Um, it's something I've struggled with, uh, for a long time. Um, so probably from like 2010 onward, um, post business school, it was a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. Um, <clears throat> and, um, kind of got through that with medication, um, talk therapy. I just had a really hard time sharing what was inside my head. Mm. Um, found a really great therapist and a really great psychiatrist um, here 
and actually was diagnosed about a year ago uh, as bipolar two. Hmm. Um, it's a very different diagnosis than depression. You treat it with very different drugs. And so I had spent nine years, eight years getting treated for something I didn't have. Um, bipolar depression and bipolar is very different. And so finding that out, and and a lot of it was being with my therapist for three years. She said, you know what? I've seen you up and I've seen you down. And and I think this could possibly be um, what your diagnosis is. And so um, wow, it was a hard, yeah, it was a hard thing to to hear because you, you hear bipolar and you're like, all right, Carrie uh, from Homeland, right? Where yeah. she's like doing drugs in the bathroom one minute and then having sex with a random, like yes. that, that's not what bipolar is. Um, there, there are people who suffer from severe mania. Um, I'm bipolar too. So it's more hypomania. We spend mo most of your time in a depressive state. Um, so what is that getting term? on the medicine, being able to talk. What does that term oh. hypomania mean? Um, hypomania, I would describe it as a flow state. It's the state where you are, you're not invincible, but you're feeling like you can do everything. You could have an 80 hour week. You're waking up at 4am. Um, you're, you're talking faster, you're thinking faster. And lots of times for, for people who are bipolar one, um, you, it, if you continue on that path, it heads into mania and mania is a full psychotic break. Um, for me, um, mania, uh, hypomania kind of exists for a period. And then your brain is like, all right, dude, I'm done with this. And you go into depression. Mm. So it's almost like you spend yeah. all that fuel that, that, and then <clears throat> there's nothing left in the tank. And so it kind of bottoms out. Is that what it's like? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Um, so what, what did you find that knowing that and allowing you to kind of accurately know what's actually going on, what changed in terms of mm -hmm. treating that and helping you manage, manage that better? Yep. Um, so I mentioned earlier um, that, well, so, so first off, I think it's advocating for yourself with mental health. I think our mental health system is absolutely broken. Mm -hmm. um, I am a um, well-off person with all the insurance resources I need and to get in to see a psychiatrist is Hey, we can get you in in a year, maybe. Um, right. And and it's a lot of a lot of GPs prescribing medicine that they know nothing about. And if you get on the wrong medicine, they're like, okay, well, just stop taking it. And it's like, hey, from a little bit of Google research and the fact that I tried stopping this, and I have brain zaps happening. Maybe we should come up with a better plan. So yes, um, there's not there's not a lot of things down the pipe that I I think can help with some of these things. It's just getting more people with this degree. Um, but I also think there can be hospitals can do a better job with care coordinators. So when you have when you're diagnosed with cancer, they give you a care coordinator to help you coordinate amongst all the doctors you're going to see and all the all the tests that are going to be done. Mm. Um, so I, I think there's a better model uh, for that. But I'd say it's advocating for yourself. It's being willing to talk to people. Um, so uh, I heard a really great analogy the other day that <clears throat> most of us have a lot of pebbles in our shoes. Um, and they're little things that are kind of piling on to us. And a lot of us let them become rocks and rocks are a lot harder thing to deal with. And so if you can deal with the pebbles when they're still pebbles, um, you don't end up with a lot of rocks. And so mm. that's another thing is being proactive where you're like, oh, well, I'm doing okay. So I don't need to go see a therapist or I don't need to talk to someone, but that having that maintenance, um, every three weeks to talk to someone and just kind of get that stuff out of your head and talk it through, um, is super valuable. 
Um, so for, for me and I know, yeah. So one of your questions that I saw on here was, um, <clears throat> what's the hardest decision I ever made? Um, coming back from that 14 days in quarantine, uh, no person who struggles with mental health should spend 14 days in essentially a prison cell. Um, and so I came back extremely depressed from that. And so the hardest decision I've had to make is I actually checked myself into an outpatient, um, intensive outpatient facility. Just, I, I, I struggled with leave, leaving the business, um, and, and letting the team kind of take things over, but, um, I wasn't getting better and I wasn't going to get better. And so it's admitting that you have whatever disease it is. Um, yeah. and it is a disease. It's like having diabetes, right? You got to treat it and you got to take care of it. And so that was, that was a tough decision. And luckily my wife is wonderful and she stepped in as, um, kind of ran the show for a couple of months there. But, um, so that's the other thing is if it gets to the point of being really bad, um, you need to take drastic steps to get yourself out of it. Um, you never want to get to the point where God forbid someone takes their life or yeah. um, gets into drugs and alcohol, that kind of stuff. It's hard to ask for help. It's hard. Oh yeah. So, and, and as a, as a man, it's even harder to ask for help. Um, and, uh, or maybe not hard to ask for help because people will help, but it's hard to admit. Yes. Um, cause you see, you see it as weakness, right? That's how I feel. Even, yep. even in small things like, you know, I was talking to a therapist the other day about it, just that I still feel guilty and ashamed if anxiety is affecting me because, yep. and then I get worried about that, which makes it worse because I don't want it to inconvenience yep. anybody. I don't want to burden the family yep. or change plans or anything like that. And so it's yep. a spiral. And he was like, why, why is it so hard to, to just say, Hey, I need a minute. And I was like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but it feels like I'm not allowed to yeah. in my head, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You said, uh, two important words, uh, guilt and shame. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're a fan of Brene Brown, I am. But she talks a lot about this, right. And she says, guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. It's a very small difference, but it's a very important difference. Um, and it's something that, um, I think back in the day parenting, you're like, it would be, well, I'm disappointed in you. Right. I, in I, I will never tell my daughter I'm disappointed in her. I will always say I'm disappointed in the action that she took, right? But um, shame leads to very leads to numbing behaviors. Guilt you can get over, and yeah. so it's kind of back to the if you fail, you're a failure. It's d disassociating yourself from the action. Yeah, um, which yeah, definitely be more shame in those moments than guilt. It's the it's the feeling something's wrong with me. You know, I'm yeah. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm I'm broken in some way, and oh man, that's gonna that's going to let the moment down or the people down or whatever. Yep. And that's a, that's a tough one yep. to work through. Yep. Yeah. And the more people that come out and talk about their mental health, um, the better. Um, so that, that's why I always want to talk about it. Um, I've, I know several people in my life who approached me after I've talked about it at an event or something and said, dude, I'm really struggling. Can you help? Or that really meant a lot. I'm willing to go do X, Y, or Z yeah. now and see how it goes. Uh, same. I, I try to talk about it anytime it feels relevant. Um, just because mm -hmm. often we're seen as, you know, leaders and strong and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm a performance coach and for me yeah. to be able to tell people like, Hey, I, I said, I, I start a lot of talks off with the only reason I know what I'm talking about is from my own suffering. It's not from theory. It's not from yep. good ideas. It's from having to be my own coach. It's from having to, yep. you know, manage my own suffering. Right. 
Um, yep. So I'm curious for you, what do you see as part of that um, uh, treatment? What What are the things? Is there exercise, is sleep, nutrition? Is yep. any of that important to you? Is obviously therapy. What are the things that you see as kind of critical yep. to your your mental health? Yeah. Um, a good lesson I got coming out of that group I mentioned, Initiative One, was taking care of yourself. Um, you can't pour into other people's cup if you don't have anything in yours, right? Yeah. And so it was figuring out, it was, it's talking to that therapist and maintaining a regular cadence to it as, as opposed to just going in when something is um, acute. You want to go in when it's little and those little pebbles. Um, I found a really great integrative care doctor. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with integrative medicine. Um, so they treat the person instead of the symptoms. Okay. And so it's, it's all the things from supplementation to, um, living a healthier lifestyle to doing the things that will resolve the, the three things that are going to kill you, which is cancer, um, um, your mental health and things like, um, uh, like Parkinson's and those others. And then, um, uh, it's your, it's your heart. And so it's, it's being proactive essentially with your, your health. Um, so Peter Atia, he has a really great podcast called the drive. Yeah. Um, I love Peter he is Atiyah. the foremost, yeah. The foremost thinker on integrative care and integrative medicine. So that was a really helpful thing, um, for, for me. And then, um, yeah, I do a lot of little things. So like, uh, cryotherapy I'll do, I've done some sound therapy, acupuncture. Um, so trying out those, those other things. And I, I really want to get into meditation. I've tried so many times, but I can't sit still for 30 minutes inside my own head. It just doesn't go well. Um, can, so I I tried, you, can I give yeah. you what's been working for me? Because I was the same for years. Yeah. There is an app called Sync Tuition that uh, a kind of a mentor friend gave me because I told him the same thing. I was like, dude, my own head, too much time in my own head is often not a good thing, right? And yeah. Yep. So I, what I realized was this app I don't actually, by the way, so I don't pay attention to this part for normal people. They probably do. There's almost like a prompt. Each one is like a different part of a journey that is helping you reconnect to your intuition. So it'd be like the theme might be this, this time. I actually don't care about the theme. It's literally that they have, uh, sounds sometimes it's birds, water, whatever. And it's 3d. So like in your Mm -hmm. hearing, it sounds like it's up here or it's over here or the water's moving over you. And I take the 25 minutes just to focus on what I hear. That's all. My only goal okay. is, to, is to sit yep. there and be immersed in almost my imagination. I hear a bird over here. I hear this yep. and it has the yep. effect I want it to have, which is that I was very present and my mind was kind yep. of here and focused and not there and not racing yep. and whatever. And I, it's the only yep. thing I've stuck to. I've been doing it for like six months now and I, okay. I genuinely look forward yep. to it. All right. Well, I can't, again, I can't write these things down cause I don't want to stop looking I'll at send the it camera. All. So that's I'll another send it all an email. email or put it in the show notes or something. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard actually with meditation, all those thoughts, you don't want to push them away. Those are actually good. It's kind of like the blowing off a little bit of steam and it's those thoughts kind of escaping. Yep. Um, so you don't want to push those thoughts out. I just have a hard time because then I'll start thinking about work and what I have to do later and my to-do list and all those other things. And yep. um, so, yeah, no, so what um, I do is something I've wanted to do. Yeah. So what I do is I see those, I don't judge them. I don't try to push them away, but I see them as the thought arising is is on its way to leaving. Right. So the thought arising is on its way to being processed. And so as soon as I notice it, I go, Oh, there it is. And I just go back to the sound. It's not even like an active push. It's like, what am I hearing again? And then something else pops up. I go, Oh, there's a new thing. And then I go back. All right. Yeah. The, the muse headband, um, 
actually is something that's built similarly around that, where it actually tracks your brain waves. Cool. And it, as soon as your brain waves start to, you get distracted and start to, it, it plays like a thunderstorm. And it, and you want to try to get your mind back to the birds playing. Yeah. Right? And so yeah. it's like, this is where your quiet mind is. Um, I need to dig that back out. I think that was something that was helpful for me that I didn't, that yeah. I haven't done. Recently. I'm just paying attention yeah. right now to the things that when I stopped doing, I, I notice an effect. And that was one where mm -hmm. I'm like, dang it, man, I didn't do that for two weeks. And, and it was easier for me to get more and more like anxious. Whereas again, it's not a cure all, but it was like one of many things that like, Hey, when I do this consistently, it does, it does help regulate and get me into a different, almost like brainwave pattern. And, uh, grounds yeah. me in certain moments and that kind of thing. And so cool. I've, I've recently brought it back into more consistency. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's always an experiment, right? Like, yes. Hey, I did this yesterday or I drank this yesterday. Um, Tim Ferriss is big on that. Um, kind of figuring out what, what the triggers were from the last day. Um, I use the aura ring, which is the greatest wearable I've ever had in my life. Hmm. Uh, O U R A. It is, uh, it measures your everything to do with your sleep. Um, so, it does a really nice job of telling you, um, and you, you can go back and see, like, I didn't get any deep sleep yesterday. It's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't get any deep sleep because of X, Y, or Z. Um, so that, that's I really great. I think like sleep, that. yeah, sleep is the most important thing, right? Like we need that rest. And so anything I can do to optimize my sleep, um, I think Dr. Uh, Matthew Walker is the preeminent, yes. has a book called Why, Why We Sleep. He's on, been on Peter Atia a bunch, like four hour long episodes. Um, another thing that Peter Atia recommends is the, uh, Tim, Tim Ferriss does too, is the eight sleep, which is a cooling. It's a, like a, a thing pad you put on your mattress and it can cool and heat. And it actually is smart enough to be like, all right, Tony fell asleep. Let's put him into deep sleep. We're going to take it down to negative four degree or negative four on the temperature scale or up to yes. this. And then in the morning it wakes you up with temp. So it's, it's not a cheap thing. It's in the two to 3000 range, but dude, I'll spend whatever it takes on sleep. Dude, all right, you're you're getting me back on where I need to be. Uh, I've I've looked at the aura ring. Uh, I thought about getting a chili pad, which is similar to Eight Sleep. I had the founders exactly, of, yeah. I had the founders of Chili Pad on my podcast years ago, and uh, they yeah. were they they created it out of their own journey through mental health and grieving the yeah. loss of a child. And um, she realized like this was a huge part of it, being able to accurately cool the bed to yeah. a temperature that was conducive for her getting deep sleep and. Uh, I just need yeah. to spend the money. It's one of those things, just like therapy, yeah. that I, I I would love to hear you talk about. But I felt I felt guilty at times, going, "Is it really okay for me to spend money on me?" Basically, like, "Is it okay for me to spend money on therapy?" That's a lot of money. We could be using it for the kids, or we could be saving, or whatever. Like, yeah. And now I'm realizing, like, you can't afford not to. Yeah. Well, it makes you if it makes you a better person, you're going to be better for the people around you. So. It's kind of you're spending the money on you to be better for them, right? So good. Well, Tony, yeah. we're getting close to the end of the hour here. I'm so glad we got to talk about this. Uh, I know that we will be uh, promoting, especially this part of the episode. I, I, again, just like you've experienced and I've experienced, I think there's so many more people than we know uh, that suffer silently. And yeah. uh, I think we need to raise our voices and, and even, like you said, push for innovation in, in, yep. in healthcare and in options and uh, things like that. So I appreciate you being brave enough to raise your voice and tell us your story uh, as well as yep. man telling us about your business. And it's, it's been a super yeah. exciting and gratifying conversation for me. Yeah. Well, Megan gave me the lightning round questions. Is there in fact a lightning round? That's my favorite part sometimes about yes. the uh, uh, Tim Ferriss and other podcasts. So. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Uh, I didn't know if you had questions or if you had time for that. So we can we can do the lightning round questions. We'll start with number yeah. one. If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? Uh, be the buffalo. So I don't know if you're familiar. When a storm is approaching, the only animal that runs into the storm is the buffalo. Huh. So he gets through it or she gets through it quicker than all the other animals who are running away. And so I have a, I have a it's hard to show on here, but I got a buffalo tattoo yeah. here. It's got my wife and daughter's initials in the, uh, in the horns. Uh, and then it says a Brene Brown quote, courage over comfort. But um, yeah, be the buffalo is, uh, is one of our core values here. Come on, man. I like that. All right. Question yeah. number two. What is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? Um, so, uh, the, the whole ass one thing, don't half ass two things that I referred to earlier was probably the best advice. And then the other, it's not exactly around, well, it's not around the business. So I was a chemistry major in college and there were like two career paths coming out as chemistry majors. And I was just kind of pushed towards those things. I ended up in North Carolina in a PhD program and I was miserable. I got mm. there for the first two weeks and I was like, what am I doing? I like people too much to sit in a research lab. And so um, it was, I guess, the advice to just do what the next thing is in your career path, as opposed to stepping back and saying like, what is it about me? Or like, how, how can I, how can I get back to the world? How can I do something that I'm passionate about? Um, there's another tattoo I have, um, and the phrase is ikigai. It's a Japanese phrase, um, yeah. and it means reason for being or purpose. And it's the confluence, and I'm going to get this wrong, of four things. It's what you can, what makes you happy or what brings you joy, uh, what the world needs, um, what you can get paid for. Um, and I'm going to forget the, the fourth one, but you can look it up, and it's, it's a Venn diagram, and I only think of Venn diagrams. So, um, <laughs> but that, yeah. I love it. Yeah. yeah, I've definitely heard of that before, yeah. and I, I can't remember the fourth one either, but it's a beautiful concept. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Yeah. All right. Number three, what currently causes you the most worry leading your organization? Um, the world is, falling. seems like the world is falling apart, supply chains and inflation and maybe a recession. And it just keep feels like every day, uh, some additional gas is poured on the dumpster fire that is, uh, the world right now. So <laughs> that's just every, I feel like I wake up and it's like train workers are going to strike starting today. And, someone steps in five minutes before they're going to strike and solves it. But um, it just seems like there's one thing after another. So um, the frustrating thing is those are all things out of my control and totally. I like control. So yeah. Totally. All right. Question number four, what is the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal for your company? Yep. So that's uh, saving the world from toxic PVC fabrics. That's the renegade um, message. So um, and then my personal one is, um, I'd like to retire by 50 and be an angel investor and an advisor. Um, I, I think there's no better thing that you can do than to give back to other small business owners and take the lessons I will have learned over 20 years and try to be as helpful as I can to them. Heck yeah. That sounds like a worthy goal. Yeah. All right. Question number yeah. five. This is our fun kind of creative question. Uh, we call it going back to the future. If you could hop into a DeLorean, you get to go back to your past and you get to deliver a message to the younger version of you. When would you go yep. back and what message would you pass along? Somewhere around college or right after maybe even high school, um, don't control the outcome. Hmm. Um, I was a complete control freak. And so 
Um, trying to control things that are outside of your control is impossible um, or nearly impossible. So um, I'd say let basically sitting back and enjoying the ride and seeing where things take you as opposed to like, let's plan out the night. I'm going to get married when I'm 28 and I'm going to do this yeah. when I'm 30. And then this is so like, you can't, I can't plan further out than two weeks in my life. Well, how could I plan out 10 years? That's good. Yeah, man. And it creates yeah. all the worry and it creates all the anxiety trying to control the things we can't control. Right. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Tony, thank you. Thank you for sticking around for the extra few minutes for the lightning round questions. I'm glad we did that. And man, again, amazing yeah. interview. I appreciate your time and your wisdom. Yep. Appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.